0: You would just stand with me for the reading of Scripture. We're going to be reading from Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself. Where she may lay her young, at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of, of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: If you would bow with me, Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for the ability to see and understand what you have to say to us, and Lord, we ask if you, uh, if we've maybe missed the whole message of the Bible, which is something that happens, Lord, that if someone here today is without a true understanding of Christ and what he has done for us, of the hope and the satisfaction that he brings, I pray that you would open their hearts to see and understand and treasure Christ, that they would believe upon him. In Christ's name, amen. Some of you maybe have known someone that was really wealthy. And you thought, maybe after spending time with them, you thought, well, I will find out that, you know, because they're really wealthy and they have anything that they could ever desire, that they would be happy. And um, if you have spent time with somebody that was really wealthy, that you will find oftentimes that um, they have the same types of problems. Sometimes they're just bigger in certain ways, you know. But... We find out, like, if you study and read and, like, uh, spend time looking at uh, people and, and examining their lives, the, the wealthiest and the people with most, the most status and influence in the world, uh, that doesn't lead to happiness in their life uh, or fulfillment. And uh, sometimes they're more miserable than anyone. And so you kind of have to get to your, the place where you say, well, what is it that would really make someone... Happy or or their uh, souls to be satisfied, or for them to be in a good place. And you certainly find out that that's not going to do it. And um, because no matter how much you've done or accomplished, it cannot rescue you. And so, uh, one author noted that you might ask of this psalm, how can I seek maximum pleasure in this life in a way that it does not ruin my life? So, that's something to think about. Like, if I am pursuing uh, the like a, a an ultimate, like a fulfillment in this life, how can I do that without it ruining my life? So some of you might say, well, I guess if you just be good and you love your uh, family and you raise them well and provide for them, then you can do whatever you want to and then you'll be really fulfilled, you know, but that's really not what the psalmist is going to get at today. He's trying to help you really think about what you are pursuing and what you would want. And so I have noticed, though, that people that have enormous wealth, you know, they may go to the highest places uh, that they possibly can, like space, or they may go to the depths of the sea, you know, and they're trying to find this place that will kind of uh, lead them to this ultimate feeling of pleasure and desires are fulfilled and all that, but it never seems to do it. Uh, One author, like, uh, it was a philosopher that spoke of, like, everybody in their pursuit. They're pursuing love or affirmation kind of in everything that they do. So if you meet people and you talk to them, you realize that they're kind of longing for that, and so they're looking for or desperately longing for love and affirmation, and they can pursue it in two ways. One way is through like sensual pleasure, and another way would be through just uh, accomplishing more than they ever have before, just the next step, next step, next step, next step. So they keep trying to go to the next place. And Psalm 84 is going to see or help us understand that, you know, if you really want to not ruin your life but experience the true pleasure and true satisfaction and true hope and true joy, uh, you will find that only in the Lord. As one of the great church fathers said, your heart is restless until it finds its rest in the Lord. And so we're always kind of, again, when you try to take your eternal soul. And you try to satisfy it with temporal pleasures. It will never do it. If you try to do that with your family, you say, well, we're going to give our children everything that we didn't have. Every earthly pleasure that I didn't have, I'm going to give to them. And you'll look at them and think, why are these kids so ungrateful? Why do they not care about all these things that we've done for them? I've given them everything that I didn't have. Why are their hearts not satisfied? Well, the reality is you cannot satisfy an eternal soul with an earthly pleasure. And so we struggle with that. We're going to deal with that and have to think about that throughout our whole lives. And we can learn it early or later or whatever. But we want to today, I think, to stop and say, let me see the wisdom of this psalm. Psalm 84, I, I, I might could title it something like, Oh, to dwell with our God and his people. That might be one way to title that. You may want to. It may be something different that you would add. But the first part is about longing and then about the journey. And then the last is like a prayer that kind of helps you frame out like what you would be praying for or longing for. So let's look at that idea of longing here, dwelling with him and his people. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow nests for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my God and my King, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. So, Psalm 42 takes you to Jerusalem, this longing for Jerusalem. This longing for the temple, this longing to be close to uh, the place where God would dwell among his people. You know, some of you may have a city. I don't know how many of you have traveled to different cities in the world that you really like. Some of you may not like cities at all. But you may have a city that you're like, you know what, I love that city. I love it this time of year. I love to go there and to experience uh, maybe the architecture, the food, the activities that are there. I love that place, you know, and we kind of think about it in that way. And you might think in terms of uh, this person, maybe just kind of longing for, oh, I want to go to Jerusalem. But that's really not at their heart. They want to go to the place where God dwells among his people. I do have places on this earth, like the mountains, that I really like. And I love to go there, especially in the summer. I might freeze to death in the winter, so I kind of stay away. But in the summer, I'd love to go there. But that's, again, at the heart of this, he is trying to go somewhere where a holy God dwells with his people, where there's restoration and, and, and there's this place of like intimacy with God. That is what he longs for most. So I, I think it's important just to, to understand that. Under the old covenant, God is, we see Him in the tabernacle when they're traveling, but then the temple, when they are uh, more stationary, they have this land, and so they're getting and drawing close to the Lord. So verse two speaks of the courts, which again is in reference to the temple, both the interior and exterior parts of the courts. It's kind of uh, the whole experience there, and um, really the whole. What we know is it, it's it's like this this kind of he's marveling in the fact that he could draw near to God, and if you look at verse three, it's not just him, but like there's something of the whole earth being able to be able to experience that or even the created realm here sparrows were like known for like they're kind of worthless you know but but they but they are near to the this place this place where god's blessings kind of flow and so they were in jerusalem there were sparrows there little children would catch them and sell them for like virtually nothing but he's saying that this the sparrows and the swallows both are uh this picture here i think is probably not just of like uh people or anything like that. i think it's just that there, there's there's value and and wonder for all of his creatures like to be in his presence to be near his presence uh like the scripture says that uh if he cares about the sparrow how much more does he care about us but he does care about the sparrow and so we see that and that's on display and so i think that's kind of the picture here there is this longing for all of creation to draw near to god there, there's a longing for uh for 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 all people really and again all of creation to draw near to him and so as we look at this i think that is kind of at the heart here and that is a longing kind of think about your life and think do i long for him do i long to draw near to god do i long to draw near to god um and and we would say what's the temple today in the church do i long to draw his living stones his people do i long to be with them and to think about the things of god and to know his presence is close and near to us verse 4 Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. This is kind of the thing of like, there were people that spent, um, uh, they led the people in praise, like in the temple, that would spend longer periods of time there. And it almost shows this intense desire, this yearning to be in that place where you could always be in the presence of God, always singing and rejoicing. You think about the book of Revelation, I think there's 14 songs, and all of those songs are centered around the people of God, praising God and honoring God and singing uh, his praises. And so this place is this place of longing where he thinks, if I can get close to the presence of God, what joy uh, will fill my soul. So I do think it is important to say that when the people of God, and I say this a lot to you all and I want to remind you of it, if it was just me with my little devotion, reading my devotions in the morning by myself somewhere, in the perfect spot, versus like gathering with the people of God, singing His praise, and hearing His word, and all that kind of stuff. I would choose the church every time. It it is the place where God dwells with His people in a very unique way. He's certainly dwelling with us if we're out like doing our morning devotions, but to dwell with His people, to sing His praises together, to sit there with these people who blood-bought saints, who have the Spirit of God, whose sins have been forgiven, who are lifting Him up. That, I, that's where I'm going to always default. That's where we want to go. That is the place where He, again, is dwelling with us. It's a place where we understand that sins are dealt with. Under the Old Covenant, there would be priests and sacrifices. Under the New Covenant, the, the great High Priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, has offered the final sacrifice. And we come here rejoicing in that, reminding ourselves both individually and collectively that God is with us, that God is dwelling with His people. It is a place where we proclaim the gospel, we exalt Christ, and we reflect on all that He has accomplished for us. It's a place where baptism and the Lord's Supper are on display as these covenant signs of our relationship together, entering in and continuing in, that covenantal relationship with the Lord. That's a great blessing for us to sit and wonder and fellowship with God and with one another as we gather together. Verse 4 shows us, if you'll look back at that, blessed are those who dwell in His house who sing His praise. That There's this soul-satisfying place where God's reconciled people praise Him and we do that regularly, and we are thankful for it. We long to do that in a more full way. But right now, we are where we are, and so we lift Him up and we praise Him. There's this longing. There's a longing to return to that place. Sometimes, I do think, like, in a more prosperous culture, and where we live, oftentimes, where uh, people travel a lot, you know, and you you, you miss out on, like, the, the soul-stirring kind of place of gathering with His people. And sometimes you... Uh, I think sometimes you need to come back just so you can be reminded of the great joy of knowing the Lord and drawing close to Him. But if you ever are kind of out and about and you're like, I need to be back. Where do you need to be back? You need to be back with His people, singing His praise, rejoicing in the great blessings that He has given us. So the whole idea here is dwelling with Him and with His people. The heart here is to long after that. And then the second part, I think, is the journey In a way, the journey there, the journey back to the Lord, where we continue to go back to Him. This section, I think, focuses on the experience of difficulties, you know, like the the difficulties that we might face uh, along the way in this journey. There's some element to where you are always living, if you kind of back up and think about it for a minute, we're living in this place where we gather together as a church, but we always know that this is not fully what things, what it will be. And so we're kind of going along the journey. And as we're moving along, we're thinking about, like there's coming a day when the he- new heavens and the new earth will be a cosmic temple, the whole thing. the All of the universe, heaven and earth be united, and the praise of God will be on the lips of His people, again, as you see in the Revelation. So I think it's important to understand this journey along the way. We, it, I heard somebody describe the church one time as a safe house. In a hostile old creation where we get a glimpse, where you and I get a glimpse of what God intended for us. It's that place where you can say, like, where Christ, uh, we're, we're praying, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, corporately. And we're longing for that day. And so as we journey together and we come to these little safe houses, uh, local assemblies, we're kind of bound up together, we're encouraged together, we're challenged together. And we're, we're rejoicing together in the Lord, but we are longing for the fullness of that to come. And so along the journey, I think, is kind of what you see in verses 5 through 8. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose hearts are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from the strength the strength. from each, each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. So I think you have to kind of go back again and you think about people, again, that would, might be really, really successful and they're running after some kinds of things, like, like whether it's the romance or like success in this world that they want to satisfy them. And he's saying, listen, those people in, in this world that are trying to find strength in something other than the Lord will not find it there you get older. You're not as strong as you used to be. There's things that you could do that you cannot do. And there's some folks that like spend their whole lives trying to think about like what they are able to accomplish. They rehearse it in their mind how much greater they they are than other people and, and how proud they are of all their accomplishments. And they are quick to tell you of all that they have done and how they've done, worked harder, accomplished more, they're smarter than everybody in the world, and they live in this fairy tale world that doesn't really exist. And they're saying something like, uh, to you, if you talk to people like that over time, they're saying, my strength is in me. My strength is in me. My hope is in me. I trust in me. I'm the center of the everything. I'm the one that you kind of, I want to beat my chest. I want other people to recognize who I am, how great I am, how strong I am. How wonderful I am. But that's not the way the Christian thinks. The, Christian's not, the Christian is longing to be reconciled to God where he can be made right, where he can be, be strengthened and encouraged. And along the journey, the Christian is saying, I need the Lord's help in every way. I don't stand there proudly like the Pharisee saying, Oh God, you know how great I am. How much more I've done than other people. How if you were to weigh me in the balance with other people that I would win. How much I've done. How much I've accomplished. How much I've done for my name's sake. That's not the Christian idea here. That's the, when the storms of judgment come, as in Matthew chapter 7 says, those people who built their house on sand, which is their own strength, their own name, their own power, those people will be swept away. In contrast, happier those whose strength is in you. Like, when you think about your salvation, if it is about God's strength, you're on the right track. If it's about yours, you're not. Because your salvation is not accomplished by you dying on the cross for your sins or your perfect life satisfying God. It is not. And so the reality is here is the true happiness, the true joy that is found is that in the midst of the trials of going through that valley, there is strength. There is this strength that allows them to go forward. Blessed are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion. The idea is, is these people are going through this journey with the Lord, and they want to be near His presence. And guess what? Their hearts have these trails in them that lead to Zion, that lead to the presence of God. It's almost like when they stop and reflect upon their strength, it's always driving them to the presence of God. That's the the map, if you will, built into their hearts. Is that not crazy? If you think about someone like, uh, if you were to say like their heart, their heart has ro- a road map in it that always guides them into, uh, towards the presence of God. That drives them. That's the thing that when all the, the, the foundations of their life are shaken, the thing is that they have is that their hearts their heart, what strengthens them is they're being carried on to Zion. Their minds and hearts are there. The highways of Zion are engraved on the tablet of their heart. And I think that's important to see. You know, when they left their home to go to Zion, they had to leave, all, you, know, you know, all of their resources, all of their... Uh, land all of their the the stuff that they were growing all of that so they had to walk away from all those things to go and worship God but the reality is is they're trusting in him in such a way that they're hoping in what he is going to accomplish and what happens is is those whose strength now look at this in verse six and seven those whose strength is in the Lord those who have trusted in him when they go through the valley there are these places, these springs along the way that like feed them along the way. Like His strength is there to guide them. Like, you know, the famous devotion, streams in the desert, it's as they're moving along, as they move through places where you're like, oh, well, this will be frightening, or how are they going to take care of themselves? The the reality is is there's these streams there that as they're moving along through life, they're never uh, without... What they need, God is taking care of them all along the way. They're not left with their own strength, but with His. I mean, that's just shocking. Because, like I said, you'll meet someone; they'll talk about how strong they are, how much better they are than everybody in the world, how good they are in their own eyes. And you're like, you're building your strength on you. Is that your foundation? Your heart? The, the roads of your heart lead to you as the seated sovereign of your life? Is that really what you're going to hold fast to? I mean, that's just such a wild concept that someone would have. Someone whose um, strength is found in the Lord will be satisfied with every good thing. But someone who has pursued the wrong things and sought after the evil things, or things that were just their own self-love and self-building like themselves up, they will have no hope. There is no hope for them. Verse 7 says, They start out in a place of strength, and you see they continue. Their destination is by strength, so they go from strength to strength because their hope is found in the God of Zion, the one who reigns and rules over all. Verse eight, you don't really see why this prayer or what the prayer is, but you understand that like his prayer is and his longing is in that journey. He's hoping in the Lord. So the the issue here is we're talking about dwelling with God and his people. And then we're saying like there's this longing within the heart. And then along the journey, those who have longed after and pursued the Lord, along the journey, their strength to strength to strength to strength, because God is providing for them in that journey. And then the last part here is just a prayer. And I want you to look at that with me. Look at verses 9 and 10. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. So when you look at behold our shield, he's saying look on the face of the anointed. I think he's speaking of the Messiah. I think it's the idea is look on the face of the king. The extension of your reign, look on His face, like have your favor shine upon Him. The anointed, again, throughout the Old Testament, is the Messiah. The prayer is that He would be favored. You know that Scripture where it says, Ask of Me and I will make the nations your inheritance. There's this longing for God's reign and rule to be throughout the universe, and He wants it to be full and complete both in heaven and earth. He's saying... The king reigns over all the earth, and God's good law will apply everywhere. God's presence is extended everywhere, is the idea. So, I think it's just, you know, you're, we're always longing for that day. You and I. If you're a little kid, your parents should be praying, saying, we pray for God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done. We long for everything, all things to be restored. You know, and then he goes on in verse 10 and says, Why would you want heaven and earth to be right? Why would you want that? Why would you want total restoration of everything? He says, because one day in God's courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. What's he saying? He's saying one moment in the presence of God. One day day sitting with Him, considering Him, seeing Him, is better than a thousand elsewhere. You might say, yeah, but I, you know, again, like we talked about, like I love this place or that place, and I like to too, I like to see different places in the world and all of those things, but can you imagine the day when all of those places will be filled with the fullness of God, restoration of heaven and earth so that every place that you go doesn't leave you saying, oh, I want more, searching for more, where it satisfies your heart, you are with the Lord you know Ruth Graham once was asked is it hard for your husband to be away like to be traveling all the time Billy Graham to be traveling all the time she said a week with Billy is better than a year with another person you all say that about your husbands I'm sure but um, what a perspective but I think it's important um, that you when you're thinking about those things you're saying like how much greater is one day with the Lord, one week with the Lord, than, than a lifetime anywhere else. He's trying to help you be satisfied in the Lord. And so he says it would be it's better to be with the Lord than anywhere else. I want to be near him. I would rather be a doorkeeper in his house. It means you're not living with the family. You might just, you're just watching the door. It could be a kind of a sign of like protection. It could be a place of like you're almost welcoming people in, but you're not dwelling with the family. But I would rather just be on the outskirts, right on the edge of, of the fullness of like dwelling with the family, with the Lord, than to be anywhere else. None of those other things will truly satisfy. The, the reality is if you were to make a list of the things that you want so badly on earth, and then you, again, you met the people that have the things that you want so badly on earth. You know what you would find out? Those people that have the things that you want so badly on earth are not as satisfied as you thought they would be. The funny thing is, is I see people all the time building this next place, buying a second place, a third place, doing all these different things. And you know what? They're never there. Why aren't they ever there? Like, why? Do you know why? Because once they have it built... It doesn't satisfy them the way that they thought it would. And so what happens is they leave there as often as they can to find another place that will satisfy their hearts. And, the, and that's a struggle for us because sa- he's saying, listen, you just want to be near God. You just want to stay close to him. You, want him. you know that he is the most satisfying. That, that we just need to understand that that being being just close to God is the most satisfying place that we could be. Now look at verse 11 and 12. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Again, as we think about the king and we think about the anointed one and we think about uh, his reign over all things and we think about being favored by him, It's almost like this this kingly figure, the anointed one, would bring the favor of God upon the people. And we know Jesus incarnate is the anointed one that came to rescue us and to save us. And his reign and rule is the place that satisfies our hearts. Living for yourself is going to make you miserable. Laying down your own desires and by faith trusting in the Lord as the soul-satisfying source, will it be the only thing that fully satisfies your heart? There will be lasting glory for those who hear the words, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's what you want. That's what you're desiring. That's what you want to do. You want to move towards the things that God is about. Draw near to Him. You know, sometimes in our house, um, if you say something like, Somebody says, this is mine. You ever had somebody that's like, these are my toys. I play with them the way I want to. You, may, you know, they're, they're mine. So like an adult would be like, this is my house. This is my land. This is my place. This is mine. All mine. Mine, mine, mine. I'll let you play with my toys if I want to. And eh. You know, my car, whatever it might be, you know. And then a little kid is sitting there saying, this is all mine. This is my toy. If he touches it, I'm going to make him wish he had never touched my toy again, you know. So you have adults that are crybabies, and you have kids like that. You know, they're not really wanting to share, let's say, for instance. And so the reality is, though, is he's saying, listen, the one who walks uprightly, the one who walks, like, in a way that would be pleasing to God, treasuring God, serving other people, God is not going to withhold from him any good thing. So if you embody the spirit of the law to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself, not going wah, 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 this is mine, you know, but like giving your life in service to the Lord and to others, he will not withhold any good thing from you. This psalm is a desire to be in his presence. The the help God gives for those who have put their hope and strength in Him along the journey as they experience affliction. And then the last part, in 9 to 12. Wherever the Lord is, there will be pleasures forevermore. If you fear missing out, which all of us do. We can struggle with that all of our lives. If we fear missing out, we will never, ever miss out when our deepest affections are for the lord he promises to satisfy us with every good thing if money and sex and power and all of things the world say would just set you your heart ablaze if they would fix it then people wouldn't be so sad but the deal is is your 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 person your soul is longing for eternity it's longing for eternal things It will not be satisfied with earthly things. We are built on a higher plane than that. So no amount of like fishing, which I enjoy doing with my boys some, no amount of like any of those enjoyments, earthly enjoyments will ever truly satisfy our souls. A day in His courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And we may not always be able to experience that or see that fully, But we do that in faith, and you will go from strength to strength to strength to strength until you see him do what he says he promised to do, restore everything. So I want to read a quote from you um, by C.S. Lewis uh, as we conclude today. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, or first think of some foreign country, or first take up some subject that excites us, are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy I am not speaking of what could ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or trips or so on. I am speaking of the best possible ones. There is always something that we've grasped at in the first moment of longing that just fades away. The spouse may be a good spouse. The scenery may be excellent. It has turned out to be a good job, but it has evaded us. What's evaded us? That deep longing within our hearts for eternal things. And so I pray for you today, and I'll pray for myself that we would see that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for wisdom to be able to see and understand that the Lord satisfies, that knowing him is where satisfaction is found, that if we pursue as much happiness in this life with earthly things, that they will never, ever, ever satisfy us. We'll be reaching out for something that cannot do it, and it will actually be less and less of returns, Lord, and so we just pray that we would be able to see that you truly are the most satisfying, that every good thing comes from above, and that we can find our, our soul satisfaction through drawing near to you, and I just pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today who has lived their whole life separated from you, maybe around the church, but not really Knowing you, I pray that you would turn their hearts to you and that they would put their faith and hope in you. In Christ's name, amen.